0: Have you ever felt lost Paralyzed by the twists and turns The decisions and deadlines ahead of you Have you paused before making a big decision Prayed that the correct path The wise path would be easy to see If you've ever chosen the wrong path You probably still live with regret After seeing where you ended up There's a different way, a straighter path, but it's not found in our own understanding. Let the wise listen. Let the lost receive guidance. The wisdom of God is available to all. Are you listening? Buenos dias. Uh, This past two Sundays, my wife and I were uh, doing some ministry in Spain, and uh, no, I am not bilingual, um, although I would claim to be bilingual in the terms of I speak a different English than many people here, um, but uh, having grown up in a different part of the country, Having said that, what a special privilege uh, to serve over in Spain and be at La Posada, which our church helped uh, raise funds towards, there were several churches, several leaders, several people here stateside and several Spaniards that that gave to this property that is such a crown jewel uh, in the mountains of Spain. Uh, While we were there in Madrid, 130 degrees really hot and uh, now where we were is up in the mountains where La Posada is and it was 100 degrees, but I will tell you this, it was a dry heat And there was no Canadian smoke fire uh, smell around at all. So we could see blue skies. It was absolutely beautiful. And we got to experience the presence of God and the work of God among the people there. And uh, so it's good to be back here with you all. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. So if you could open in your your Bibles right now uh, to Proverbs. And if you don't have one, the ushers will provide you one at this time. Uh, We also utilize the Uversion Bible app and you can feel free to go there. Go to the events tab and you'll find LEFC. Tap on that and you can use that uh, to guide yourself uh, in the scriptures we'll be using today. Having said that, uh, so we're doing Proverbs right now after coming off the book of James where we spent several months uh, studying what James wrote to the church. He was one of the, the, the primary early leaders of the church. Uh, but Proverbs, we're going back in time quite a bit. Uh, Solomon wrote this book and, and honestly, it's a collection of memorable sayings, like there are things, it's not so much of a deep book as it is a very practical and wise book that we can remember these pithy sayings and and it can be used to great things here on this earth as we live out life. Uh, Because it's meant to be an opportunity uh, for knowing how to live the way God would have us to live. And so Solomon was gifted by God with wisdom. Last week, as Tom began our series, uh, he used this illustration of the house. It's going to be on the screen here. And this house uh, kind of directs us on how we can approach the, pro- the, the Proverbs here, where the fear of the Lord is the foundation of the house. And, and so with that fear of the Lord, then we can learn moral character which then guides us on how to live a life that is discerning uh, and then ultimately for receiving, giving, and understanding. That's the applied side. Uh, So discerning that which is wise uh, built off of having the fear of the Lord. He also spoke this phrase, which I really like, uh, the replacing confusion with clarity. Uh, There's a lot of messaging out in in our world, especially with social media. And so knowing how to cut through it all to discern that which is wise and that which is not, Proverbs gives us a means by how we can do that. I would actually use kind of an analogy of what's called a plumb line. So if you're a builder, uh, you'll use that little cord of chalk uh, sometimes and that'll kind of give you a guidance on a cut, Uh, but it can also be used for knowing the angles and or you can tie a rope between two sticks using a laser and it guides you on how to place structures. Well, I would say that that's much what Proverbs is like, is that it provides that plumb line. We can remember these statements, and and they get applied as we live out our lives day after day, and we can remember it's like, oh, I remember this is said in Proverbs. So what we've done is we've asked several different uh, of our speakers and communicators to choose Proverbs that are like plumb lines to their souls, like that they utilize regularly. And so you're gonna be hearing from week to week from different parts of the Proverbs until we get into September, and then in September, we're going to begin to teach through the book of Genesis, uh, which will be an interesting journey for us all. Having said that, we're gonna be in Proverbs chapter one today, and we're gonna be in verses seven to nine, primarily verses eight and nine. Last week, Tom ended with verse seven. It's a good place to begin for this week. Uh, So let me begin by reading verse seven. Where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So pretty much most people agree verse 7 is the theme verse for the entire book of Proverbs. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning by how we can come by wisdom. We can ascertain what wisdom is. We can discover what wisdom is by starting with fearing that there is a holy and pure God who is sovereign and in control. And when you have that fear of his authority and of his character, then we begin to realize what we are not. Because he is holy, we can see that we are not. And that's where wisdom can begin because once we understand that we are limited, in what we know on our own, then we can actually begin to grow in knowledge that leads to wisdom because we realize we are in need of help, we're in need of guidance. And so throughout this book, there's a, there's a tension at play. We are given opportunities for wisdom, but there is also the possibility that we can choose to become the fool. So the tension is this, Do you wanna become somebody who is known as being wise or do you wanna play the part of a fool? And the fool, as described here, if you will, is the beginning of their foolishness is to despise wisdom and to despise instruction, which is basically to say, to think that you're sufficient on your own, and therefore you neglect, you put off anything that could come from outside of you. And so there's the beginning of foolishness, And the beginning of wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. So let's continue on, verse eight. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. So what you see here is what is a common introduction into several of the different Proverbs that Solomon offers, where he addresses it to either a son or many sons. And that would be a very common way of writing in the Hebrew form, in that if you speak to a son, it's representative of speaking to all your children. So this is not meant to just be speaking to a male child. This is meant to be received uh, by all children uh, to respond to their parents' leadership. So with that in mind, it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Now... In this, you're seeing that wisdom comes by some means of instruction from a father. And then it says, and wisdom also can be received from your mother. So don't forsake her teaching. Okay, so now that before we dive into the meaning of what that's saying there, why is this a plumb line for Tony Hunt? Why am I speaking of all the Proverbs that are found here in this book? Why this? Well, I will tell you that it's had a huge impact on me that I realized that my parents actually know what they're saying. Because my natural nature, my default nature is to despise what I've heard, to forsake what I've heard, to leave behind what I've heard, and to chart my own course. I, I like to, I have a sense of vision, I have a sense of, of self-confidence and, and, and being able to be assertive, and that can be good, but it can also lead to my ruin. And so I've learned that if I just receive humbly from my parents, there's much to gain. And so when I was 25 years old, my parents were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. My sister and I were coming, trying to come up with, what do you give to your parents uh, after 25 years? Now, my parents were 18 and 19 years old when I was born. And, uh, and then they, uh, 15 months after that, my sister was born. So my parents were quite uh, young to have 25-year-old children while they're celebrating their, their 25th anniversary. So it was a significant opportunity to honor them Uh, even though they kind of got an early start, if you will. These verses stood out to me when thinking of my parents because by this point, I'd begun to appreciate what I'd received from them. So I talked to my sister. We decided we were going to have these two verses written in calligraphy, put into a nice uh, frame and plaque and give it to them as a gift. And my parents still have it to this day. But I will tell you these verses reflect what we saw in them. In that, my parents, we could see, feared the Lord. And we could tell you that they lived out that fear in a holy and godly way that we would wanna emulate and follow. But it, always didn't, it wasn't always that way for us, especially for me. My sister was much more of a compliant child, myself, not so much. Uh, in fact, there was a lot of tension in the household because of the way I operated throughout my years of growing up. But as we get into this, I think you'll appreciate the journey that a parent has to go through. So let me speak to this first line. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Now, in English, when we speak single words, it's usually just got a singular meaning. It doesn't usually have layers to it. Hebrew is much more poetic. And so as a result, when it says a single word, like in the English language, listen, we just think hearing. But in the Hebrew, putting it at the beginning of a sentence like this, you would know that when it's given listen as a, right up front in the sentence, listen, watch, learn, and do. All the above in that single word. So watch and learn, yes, but also do. So sons, children, daughters, listen to your father's instruction. So watch him, learn from him, and then apply what you're seeing. And instruction is something that's like, okay, it's meant to be constructive. It's it's gonna build something. And so instruction is to tell you why something is being done and then to show you how to do it. Now, excuse me for a moment, but this is where I need to be a little bit more honest. When you buy a, let's say, a cabinet from Ikea, and it comes with instructions. There are pictures to those instructions, and then there are written words to those instructions. Is everybody following me? And you can go by these boxes. One, two, three. Three and four. Now, those of you who are engineers, you're like, yeah, they're so elementary. Well, you're right, and that's what I think too. So, what do I do? I just look at the pictures. There might be just a little couple sentences, but I tend to ignore the those sentences and just look at the pictures and do it. The problem is, is that I'm not the most skilled person with my hands. Now, I can do things if I'm coached. I'm not incapable, but I'm also not trained, and so. My first couple years as being a father, we bought one of those great swing sets that has like a, a slide coming out of a little uh, tower and then there's a big arm that comes out that has the swings on it. And I'm like, I can build this, I can do this. So I followed the boxes and we got to the end and I realized I had the most crooked uh, setup. The slide was going like this and it was supposed to be 90 degrees straight out and, uh, and, and it didn't go so well. So I had to take it apart, start over, this time I read the print. And then I realized some very key things were written there that weren't shown in the pictures. And I was upset by that. You see, I, for those of us that are visual learners, they need to put everything in that picture. And I didn't have it. Now, now, you can click on these links and there's somebody actually doing it so you can watch videos and the how-to's, so replacing things on your car. You can look it up. How do you replace this? And they shows you a little video. So for all of us idiots out there, we rely upon those videos. And it's a lot of fun to do it that way because again, visually, I learn better than just looking at print. Well, my father is a classic man. He was one that, yes, he would teach things through words, but he often invited me along to watch and learn so that I could do. And that's a common method by most parents, uh, by most fathers is that they will say, invite you along, watch what they're doing, maybe even doing some of it. and, And then that way you can then replicate and do yourself. And so what you see here is that Solomon's drawing upon the common practice of a father is that they are gonna be one more likely to wanna say, come and do this with me Uh, than it is to just sit there in front of you and tell you and instruct you through an outline, okay? So we're to listen, watch and learn, and do what our fathers instruct us to do. But then it brings up the mom. But let let me back up for a moment. Let's talk about my own personal experience with my father. Now my parents were in here first hour, first service here, so this was a little bit more difficult to preach in first service. Now I got full latitude to say whatever I want, (laughs) even though this is what will be shown online for perpetuity, so I could get in trouble later. But here's the thing. My dad, while I can tell you that he didn't, I don't remember sitting down across the table from him receiving a lecture. What my dad did do that regularly with me is invite me along in what he was doing. He was a youth evangelist. He would go and speak at different events throughout the, the plain states. So from Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri, even uh, Eastern Colorado. And he would go and speak at youth events and I would get to go along. The drive to those youth events, we would get to talk about various things. But once we got to the event, I was on my own. My dad had to do his his work. And so so as a seven or eight year old, I learned to navigate the crowd Uh, on my own and so I'm an extrovert so even at seven or eight years old I felt you know pretty good about myself and pretty confident and I would navigate the crowd and for whatever reason when I was a kid I would always look for that teenage couple that that girlfriend and boyfriend and I would sit down right next to them and I'd pester them with questions about have you kissed yet (laughs) have you held hands yet do your parents know what you're doing and I know I was that brat and they just tolerated me when they find, found out that my dad was the speaker, but I was that kid that it was just an annoyance uh, to teenagers that they would tolerate me to some degree. But while there, we would go through the games and the activities, and then yes, we would go into the song portion of the, of the evening, and in the early parts of my, the seven or eight-year-old in the late 70s, I mean, every worship set ended with the song, it only takes a spark. All right, people that live the Jesus movement. I love it. There's a great movie out. You should go watch it. But anyway, that, that song was sung at a lot of those uh, gatherings. And, and then you got into the 80s and it, and it kind of took on a little bit more of a, a playful sound. It wasn't so kumbaya-ish around the fire. Um, but it was the early parts of the worship movement. And I got to see that all taking place before my eyes growing up. But then it came that part for speaking. And my dad would pull out his Bible and he'd begin to speak. Now, I knew my father very well from being in his household, but the things he would say as a preacher, where he would unveil some of his mistakes of his past and speak to the things he learned and he would speak to how God would move in his life, that all of a sudden I was given an access to him that I otherwise wouldn't have received. I got his story I also understood what Jesus meant to him through these opportunities and, and I could hear and speak and then I'm watching how God is using it in the lives of teens around me and it was having a profound impact upon my heart. These were the moments of watching and learning but yet not yet doing some of those things. And then at home when we'd be, we'd be at our house and I would wake up early enough that I would go downstairs, I could find my dad on his knees praying at the recliner. I could see that he would be visibly, you know, shaken by whatever he was praying about and praying for people. And I could hear some of the things he was praying for and just realizing how real my father was with this faith. His Bible was a New American Standard Bible that that they had had since he had become a believer. That Bible was underlined, highlighted, Things were written in the margins and the, t- the pages were very worn. And whenever I'd see that Bible and my dad was not around, I would open it up and read what was the thoughts of my father about different scriptures. These things had a profound impact on me. I also saw that whenever my father would talk about things of God moving and his heart was very much into what he was saying about what God was doing and I'd see my father get emotional and I would be so embarrassed by him when he would get emotional in front of people and then I'm like, dang, I've become just like him. (laughs) So now you all know that when I get emotional, I've learned it, but it is sincere. I cannot remember a single sit down where my father just exposited scripture to me. But what I can remember is my father expositing scripture to people, and that seeing that whatever he said in front of people in those public settings, seeing was who he was in his private life. There was much to admire and respect about my dad which is why as time went on I even when I wasn't walking with the Lord I could never reject the realities of who God was because I could see he had impacted my parents my mom I can relate to this text because when you see here in the text in verse eight, it says, do not forsake your mother's teaching. When it says to the father, it's like, listen to your father, watch what he does, listen to what he does and apply it and do it. But when it comes to talking about the mom, it uses the word teaching and saying, don't abandon it, don't forsake it, cling to it and I can relate to the desire to abandon or leave behind what my mom taught me. Because where my dad did not speak, my, father, my mother did. You see, the most common method of a mother passing on wisdom to their child is to help them see and, and hear and understand the, through words what they are experiencing. Uh, mothers are very motivated to see their children educated well and to not be lacking in anything they know. And mothers are also the front line for teaching the children right from wrong. My mom gave me more teaching on what is right and what is wrong than my father ever did. It was more about what she saw in me on a day-to-day basis where I was buying into the lies that my flesh might convince myself that I I know all that I need to know, I am sufficient on my own. And my mom could see that and could speak into it. And what I appreciate is the combination between my father's instruction and watching and learning and my mother's teaching, I was being given a tremendous blessing and gift. But my nature, my nature was to forsake, to leave behind mostly because I was too prideful to wanna to receive from my mom. I was tired of being told that there were things that I still needed to learn. And honestly, my mom had real strong discernment and she could see when my character was not what it should be. So while my dad traveled often, my mom was left behind to do the hard work of teaching and instilling God's character upon my heart. She was the one that had to say the hard things. She was the one that saw my impulses and she would use lots of words to correct them. But my natural tendency was to want to tune out and disengage because I was tired of having to hear from her. For better and for worse, she would not let me settle for a second rate, rate character if she saw anything that was lacking, even if it was 20% of of my character was lacking and 80% were solid. Now, I might be generous to myself there in saying this, but the point is, even if it was small, my mom would call it out. This meant that the two of us experienced conflict, a very intense conflict, because my natural tendency was to forsake, to abandon, to leave behind, Her desire was to make sure my character aligned with God because she and my father feared the Lord and they wanted me to have my character aligned with him and she could see that which was greatly lacking. Sometimes that conflict was so intense, she would have to go to bed tearful and crying because of the failure that she felt that I was not receiving her instruction and I showed no mercy at times. I could tell that I had beaten her down, and I would not relent. I tended to want to win the argument, no matter how harmful it may have felt to her. This type of thinking would often last for days because my dad was gone for days, and when he came back from those trips, Understanding came quick through the belt of discipline. It's true. One time it was so severe, my attitude, that my dad looked at me and says, just so you know, I choose your mother. Which is his way of saying, if it comes down between choosing between the two of you, I choose her. That was hard for me to hear. But it was a wake-up call. That over time, It began to lessen and I began to be a little bit more respectful. And then when I went off to college, I began to appreciate more the role that my mother had because the teaching she gave, I began to rely upon. And I could see when others didn't have the wisdom that they were relying upon, that they were starting to go towards foolishness. And I was starting to get why my mom said what my mom said. What I was starting to also experience is that instruction plus teaching gives the best opportunity for a child to gain wisdom. It's the combination of a father's strategy of modeling and explaining the why, to, to go with the teaching of the, of the what and the, and, the how, and, the, and the why's also the teaching can provide, that the combination of the two can really truly help a child Be formed in character and understanding. One of the things that we have learned here as we do disciple making as part of a church is that men learn best shoulder to shoulder. Again, there's exceptions to every rule, but most men learn best shoulder to shoulder, doing things together and talking as we go. Women, again, exceptions to every rule, tend to enjoy uh, sitting across the table and comparing notes and talking to each other face-to-face. Even though those are the common traits for men and for women, both are extremely important to the formation of a child's character. We don't withhold, if you have a male child, you don't withhold from them face-to-face encounters. If you have a daughter, you don't withhold from them modeling and instruction uh, where they can practice alongside. Both the mother and the father's instruction and teaching is important to the formation of the character of a child. But we as children, again, many of us have similar tendencies to me, where it's like we think we've got it figured out, We we may not say that very explicitly, but we tend to trust our own perspectives and our own understanding at the disregard of anything we might have received from a parent. But this might also be the perfect moment for me to mention, not all of you have had great examples for parents. It's true that many people that have become parents have not feared the Lord. They have not provided a godly example. They have not chosen to invest in their children. And you might feel embittered or harmed by the way your parents have taught you. There is still an opportunity to learn from their poor parenting. A wisdom that can be gained by what failures they may have done. But it's also true if you've had parents who have not done well. And if you've had incredible parents that have feared the Lord, that God also provides spiritual parents in our lives. I can tell you that in my later high school years, in my early college years, there was another couple that that were like parents to me. And they instilled great understanding of the Lord. They were friends of my parents and and there was similarity to their values of fearing God and to see that that moral character was instilled in me. I can also tell you that I ended up having mentors that discipled me as a young man in, in ministry. I can also tell you that as God brought team members, volunteer leaders as I did youth ministry, many of whom were parents of teenagers, that many of those mothers took great interest into my character because they saw the influence I had with their children. And so they still worked on some of my maybe not so great character flaws. And so they would work on that, but, but I found that these sisters in Christ were hugely formative to my character and, and becoming more and more like Christ. You see, the church is designed in such a way that whether you had godly parents or you had parents that were absent, that the church can provide a parenting and a community that either as siblings to one another or as truly generation to generation where we can receive godly instruction and godly teaching. There are many men here that are provide great models that we could watch, learn, and do just by looking at what they do. There are many women here that are great teachers that can teach and give us things that's like, I have something to learn there and to receive from. The beauty of the church is that we help each other. That's why we do the commitments we do at child dedication is that the church commits to raising that child, coming alongside the parents and instructing them in who Jesus is and that he wants a relationship with us. That's our calling as a church and we do it together. It's not just done in a vacuum by the parents, it's done together. And especially when some of us haven't been given the blessing of godly parents, we really do need each other to then inform that which we never learned. And for those who had the godly parents to be re-informed and reminded of that which we've received from our godly parents. But just in the same way that men provide by example and then instruction and experiencing when you're doing it with your own hands, and we also learn from, from moms on teaching and, and the wise of what's holy and that which is not holy, there is something we must hold on to here that's important, and that is to understand who children really are. Matthew Henry said a few hundred years ago, said this comment, children are reasonable creatures, and when we tell them what they must do we must also tell them why. Now, some of you are parents of two-year-olds right now and you're saying, he lies right through his teeth. (laughs) Children are not reasonable. But bear with me, as they get closer to age four, there's a particular word that they say repetitively, why? Why? And as parents, we can become very annoyed by that question. Why? This is the beginning of them trying to understand why no is no and yes is yes. If we simply treat the why question as an annoyance, then you rob them of understanding, which is why I go back. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Listen, watch, and learn, and do what your father instructs. And do not give up or leave behind what your mother teaches. But parents, I need to flip this for a moment. That does mean, though, that we still need to instruct, to explain, to model, so that the teaching is not just teaching of what is holy and what is not, that they can understand the why. They are reasonable creatures. That's what makes humanity unique, is that we can grow in understanding and we can reason and at age four, it's kind of that, that, that strange, awkward uh, human being that is now beginning to ask the question, why? What just gets annoying is when they're 20 years old and they're saying, why? But if we take on the mission of parenting, we can just say, you know what? If they're going to keep asking why. I'm going to keep giving them the answer. And if it's why on the same thing, I'm going to keep reinforcing it. And then they might get annoyed enough to quit asking why on that one issue but that's part of teaching. But like anything within Proverbs, if we fear the Lord and we begin to collect information that can make us wise, then we can become discerning. And then out of that discernment, we can begin to apply. Then we can move from being a fool to being one who's wise because that's the tension at play to avoid becoming the fool so that we become the wiser one. So in this text, you're gonna find this pattern throughout Proverbs. He'll teach a truth and then he'll teach an outcome. It's like the, the common phrase in math that is used in computer programming. If this is true, then this must happen. So if then statements are regular throughout Proverbs even though they don't use that language. So what we have here in verse eight if, if we listen to our Father's instruction, where we watch, learn, and do, and if we don't forget and we hold on to that which our moms have taught us, then those things they've taught us, those things they've instructed in us, those things they've modeled will become like a garland to, our, to grace our head and a chain to adorn our neck. Now, what does that mean? Well, In other words, if we apply what we've received from them and we have not left behind what they've taught, then we'll become the wiser one and the result will be something that is tangible. And it speaks to this garland and a chain. Well, the garland is like a laurel. So at the time this was being written, if somebody had done something that was worthy of honor and you wanted to show them honor, you would grace them with a laurel that you would make out of olive leaves. Now, Caesar was the one that made this quite popular. So everything, every object of Caesar, you're seeing him wear a laurel. So you can see that on the screen now, but it predates him, uh, this idea of laurels being done. And it's possible that Caesar put this on his own head. But the reality was the history of the laurel is that if you wanted to honor somebody because you've seen that they're worthy of being respected and esteemed, their life is something beautiful that you could, uh, that you could weave together some olive branches and place it on their head as an honor to them, it's called a grace because you're giving them a gift, a gift that is not necessarily earned by them, but is something that has been placed upon them. Because they're living something out that was given to them. They were living out the wisdom they had received from their parents. They had received it through instruction. They had received it through teaching. And now their life is beginning to be on display as being beautiful. And then honor is being given. And then the person receiving it can know. But I only have what I've also received. It's a grace. Now, some of you may have heard and grown up with this phrase, don't rest on your laurels. How many of you have heard that phrase uh, spoken throughout your life? Okay. I tested this phrase uh, this past week with some of our early 20-something-year-olds that are on our team. And, and I asked like, okay, so have you heard this phrase, don't rest on your laurels? And every one of them had that I had asked. And then I would ask, well, what does it mean? I have no idea was usually the common response. Now, typically in practice, what we would say is don't rest on your laurels. It'd be like, you know, don't give up continuing to learn. Don't give up trying hard. Don't give up training for whatever it is your goals are. That's kind of what it's saying is don't rest on your laurels. Well, where it comes out of is that it became common uh, that people would get these laurels placed on them and they're like, oh, now I've arrived. Now I've accomplished something. Now I am esteemed. And then they quit going forward. The things that brought them to that place that they received a laurel must be continued or it's going to come to an end. And so we're called to not rest on our laurels. In other words, don't just assume that the journey is over. You keep going. And then you got this chain idea. It's like, okay, if you listen to your father's instruction and you, and you don't forget your mother's teaching, it will not only be something that will become an honor by the way you live, because people will see the honor by what you live, and they'll grace your head with that garland, that, that, that um, laurel, but it will also lead to getting a chain around your neck. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's the same thing it means in modern culture today. When you put a medal around somebody's neck, they've accomplished something. Consider Michael Phelps, probably one of the most accomplished American athletes in, in uh, the Olympics. Look what he's wearing, a laurel. Now the laurel was placed on his head and that's not what he achieved, that's you are honored for having all the hard work you have done to achieve what you've achieved. Now the medal, the chain around his neck that's an acknowledgement that you accomplished something. And in this case, because it's gold, he accomplished something more than anybody else. And that's the beauty of the Olympics, right? Well, again, you have here that there's an opportunity for wisdom and there's an opportunity to be the fool. If you choose wisely by listening to what your parents have taught you or that spiritual parent to what they've taught you and what instructions and modeling they provide, Then people will begin to show you honor just by who you are. And yes, when we live lives that are wise and informed by those who have gone before us, accomplishment comes with it. It's just part of the journey. The fool, the fool might get there maybe initially, but the fool stops. They rest on their laurels and they don't continue to go forward and maybe it's because they're trusting themselves to a fault. They stopped receiving from others. You see, the opportunity from generation to generation where we can instill wisdom from one generation to another, that's not age specific. The opportunity for teenagers to speak into children's lives, pretty powerful. When, ch- when teenagers work in children's ministry. It's pretty powerful when college students work with teenagers. It's pretty powerful when parents are working with teenagers. It's pretty powerful when grandpa and grandma are working with teenagers. It's pretty powerful when grandpa and grandma are working with young adults. You see, as we keep going through life, life teaches always There's lessons already learned by the age of 18. The fool continues to repeat those lessons and continue to make poor decisions. But the wise one begins to learn there's a better way. All of this we can't say and claim for ourselves. We recognize, but people have taught us. People have instructed us. And we receive something that we did not earn. We, as parents, give to our kids when they've done nothing to earn it. But because we love them, we want them to not live a life that is gonna be harmed and filled with tragedy. We wanna help them avoid those things. So we instill wisdom in them. We give them instruction. We give them teaching. We explain the whys. Again, I got a lot of the whys from my father while listening to him speak. My mom would try to give me wise, but I would tune out. But as I began to make my own experiences and had some failures, I began to remember some of the things my mom taught me and some of the things my father modeled. And I found that life went a lot better when I would choose to apply that which I've learned versus just applaud what I learned. But here's the challenge. Some of you are already empty nesters. And some of you are a long ways into empty nesting. And the thought is, is your job is done. And I would beg to have you reconsider that thought. The longer you've gone in life, the more you have learned. And the more that those of us who have not lived as long Stand to game by what you know. I made an appeal a few weeks ago that we would love to see more and more those who are older and, and into the retirement years to truly begin to become spiritual fathers and mothers to some of the younger generation that are just now beginning to parent. Some of them don't have godly examples in their households and from their, their extended family and others do, but they need that reinforcement from the church You see, generation to generation is not something just from parent to child. It's from parent to child, child even to each other. It's from grandparent to parent. And some of us, our parents are already long gone. They're they're in eternity now. We can still learn from them even at this point, drawing from things they said. There are things that my grandfather told me I still remember. One of them from my granddad that I call, that's still alive, even though he's not you know, able to, to think and communicate as clearly as he used to, there was a point in time, being a farmer, he said, you know, you can walk on top of a fence for a while, but eventually, you're gonna lose your balance and you're gonna have to f- decide which side you're gonna fall. And if you don't decide which side you're gonna fall to, it's not gonna feel too good. <laughs> that made a lot of sense to me as a teenage kid. Don't wanna have one leg on each side of the fence when I fall. That's a very pithy proverb, right? But it speaks a tremendous amount of wisdom. We have to make choices in life. That's what those of you who have gone longer into life can teach us is that when you made certain choices, how that can, can cause harm or help for years to come. Don't remove that learning from those who are younger. But those who are younger, don't be so prideful to think that you've arrived. Don't rest on your laurels because maybe so far things have gone well in your marriage. Don't rest on your laurels because so far your children have been angels. Probably not. But the point is, there are things to continue to learn so that we become more and more like Jesus. And that'll only happen if we apply wisdom And that begins with fearing God. It begins with fearing God. Because if you don't fear God, if you don't fear that there is a a, a superpower that is over all things, that is sovereign over all things, and that that superpower, being God, is also holy and pure and demands holiness and purity, if you do not believe that, then everything I've just said about parents will mean nothing to you it really truly does begin with the fearing of God. His authority and his justice will not fail. And when we can appreciate that, then we're gonna wanna lean in to the wisdom that we can get from those around us. But secondly, we have to be humble enough to be still a recipient. Even when we're older, there are still opportunity to learn. Being humble enough to learn even from the younger generation. Have the younger generation explain to you how to use your phone. That could be a lot of fun. Have the younger generation teach you how to handle some of the purchasing online. Be humble, keep being the learner. And thirdly, this is also not age specific. We have to be observant of lives that are being well lived. Godly and wise. Because if we're observant of those who we see are godly and wise, then those are lives to emulate, to mimic, to copy, if you will. But you will not be willing to do that unless you're humble in heart and recognizing you're limited. And then if you know that you're limited, then you can be observant and looking that there's opportunity to see wisdom that's been built through success and failure among so many people that we can draw from. Then it can teach us that it's not only being observant, but it's inviting others to be involved with our life, not going it alone. God never designed life to be done alone. That's why Adam needed Eve. That's why God provided mom and dads. That's why God created the church. We're not designed to be creatures to be self sufficient when it comes to wisdom and formation of character. So, both child or younger needs to invite older into their life and older needs to be willing to invite other into their life. And then we can be mutually blessed and experience the fullness of a life that God intends. You see, the fool goes it alone and they miss out on all the blessing that life can bring. Let's pray. So God, the last thing we wanna do is be the fool. No, none of us wants to be called the fool, but yet some of us are pretty bent that direction. We're prideful, we're self-confident, and we're not willing to receive from others. And we often think we know better. God, forgive us. And use your spirit to convict us where maybe that's the case in our lives even now, regardless of our age. And then help us to be courageous enough to invite others into our life, that we can continue to grow, mutually bless each other by offering wisdom learned. So God, thank you for what you taught Solomon, that now we get to learn from him. May we now be mutually blessing towards each other as we do salt on salt, life on life, ironing sharpening iron. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we sing this next song, I'd like to encourage you to remain seated and to uh, allow these words, allow yourself to sit and, and think on these words. And we're gonna have an opportunity in a moment to stand and to worship together. as we sing these promises.
1: Please faith be upon you, and a thousand generations, in your family, and your children, and their children, and their children, may His i Take-
0: Generations, I'm reminded that not only do we get to learn the truth of who God is from those around us and those in our community, but also from generations and generations of saints who've gone before us. And the Lord has always been faithful and He always been good. And so, as we sing this final song together, let's remember that the same God that we sing to you today has been the same forever, and will continue to be. So whether or not you have gray hair and you're in this room or you're still waiting for your first bit of beard to come on, regardless of age, we can testify that God who is the God before our generations even lived is the same God that's the God of today. And it's through the generations of learning over and over that God is who God is that we can draw from wisdom that's why we're given the accounts of scripture so that we can see from generations that live throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. We can learn from them even on the wisdom that can be found in fearing the Lord. So having said that, if you would like to speak to someone and maybe just to pray with them or maybe to gain some wisdom on an issue that's a, that you're dealing with right now, we'll have people in the encounter room uh, that's to my left that would be glad to speak with you. I'll also be up front, would be glad uh, to be available as well. Having said that, it's all a grace. What we've received, we've received from others ahead of us that we did not earn, and what we've received, we pay for. So let's not withhold from others the wisdom we are learning, both from our failures and our successes. God is worthy of our trust. We fear Him and we'll discover wisdom and not play the part of the fool. Amen? Amen. Amen. Be blessed and go in the fear of the Lord. You're dismissed.